We continue our sermon series on outflow, which is pretty exciting as we look at serving the world. But theologically, serving is a response of faith. And that first response of faith is not to people or the world or the community. That first response of faith is worship to our God. And that's what we were talking about today. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, November 20th, 2011. Uh, it, for you to flow out, we use the example of a water pitcher with the kids with some success to explain you've got to be filled up before you flow out. Um, I use the example of kids. That makes sense. If you want your kids to be serving, encouraging, loving kids outside in the world, they have to be served in a sense, and don't push that too far, but they have to be served and understand what that means. They have to be loved at home. They have to be encouraged at home. Otherwise, you're not, I don't think, going to see that happen in the world. My guess is if that's not happening at home as you look around, you're not going to find kids who are um, encouraging and willing to step out and serve other people because their own basic needs haven't been met. In a similar fashion, that's kind of how it works with Christianity and that Christ is the one who has filled us up. He's filled us up to the brim with his grace, his love, his forgiveness. And now in that state, we can now flow out to the world. Covered a couple things last week. Number one was, if you're going to have a take-home from last week, it's... Figure out what your gifts are. These are gifts from God, your talents and abilities. Make sure you use those gifts. So hopefully you maybe went home and you did something to figure out what gifts do I have, what God has given me specifically. I'm not going to worry about chasing other people's talents because you're just going to be miserable. What has God given me? And if you want to find ultimate fulfillment in what God has given you, you're going to say, how can I use these gifts to serve other people? So hopefully you had that take home. That's why I repeated it just to make sure it made some sense. Today we're going to be talking about worship, and I would understand if you have a pause to say, okay, so we just talked about our gifts, we use these gifts to serve others, why are we talking about worship today in a series based on how we're going to talk to our, and serve our family, we're going to serve the community, how we're going to serve the world. It might not make sense, in fact, some people say, well, worship and service doesn't make, this doesn't seem to go together. They're actually the same term, if you knew that, worship essentially means service. And I had a seminary professor who was very particular about this that tells you how often I think we refer to it as worship service. But his preference was you would never use these two terms together because they're redundant. So instead, you're kind of saying like our service service, which is a little bit strange. So his preference was that. I just don't pay attention to it because most of the world's worship service, no one thinks anything of it. What the idea is, this comes from the German. If anyone um, knows German, Gottesdienst. I think I might start referring to that. Our Christmas Eve, Gottesdienst, which means service of God. That's how they referred to it back in the Middle Ages. And you can see the picture, though. Isn't it awesome that God serves us, and how does he do that? He serves us through his word, his sacraments. We don't have a baptismal bowl yet, but we will. And we can see a picture of that. We see that in communion today. God comes to us, and he serves us. And at the same time, we serve God with our lips, we serve God with our actions, we serve God with our offerings. So I think that's kind of a cool service, a uh, cool idea. And there's kind of a push. I don't know if this is going to ever get any traction, but there's a push to English, Englishize? That is not the word for it. <laughs> Anglicize? I don't like that word, so I won't use that one anymore either. So <laughs> we're going to make this... The, the, the idea is the service of God or divine service, you'll hear some people refer to. So they'll say divine service is at 10 o'clock. All that is is a throwback from the Middle Ages, and I think it's kind of a cool picture technically. But I don't imagine like on our signs anytime soon that's going to make sense to most people 
divine service as they drive by, they'd be like, what does that even mean? So I think we'll just stick with um, church. So that's where we're at. So these aren't contradictory terms, and the section that we're going to look at is in Hebrews. So we're going to work our way through worship, what it means to worship, because in the end, you can't respond, you can't serve, you can't be in the world because your first response is going to be to the one that filled you up. This is a natural thing. If you're at a restaurant, someone pours you a glass of water, you say thank you. You don't say, wow, invigorated by this water, I'm now going to thank other people. You'd naturally say it to the person who's giving. So this is in Hebrews chapter 13. We've got a single verse, but we're going to look at quite a few verses today. This is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. I took this verse in particular because I like the way it starts, through Jesus. What do we mean through Jesus, and how does that eventually lead to praise to our God, and how does it eventually lead to worship? It's pretty simple. If you're going to go to Copper Mountain, go skiing. If anyone wants to go to Copper Mountain, I've got a five pass, so I'm up for it. Um, But if you're going to go to Copper Mountain, you have to go through, I think it's called the Eisenhower Tunnel, right? So we say through tunnel, that's access. I think you could find other ways around there, can't you? Like if you drive to Wyoming and come back all the way around. So, I mean, there's more efficient ways. When we're talking about worship to God, I don't believe there's any way to do it except through Jesus. And maybe a proper term of worship would be a reflection of the joy we have, a reflection of God's glory to the world that we do with a joyful heart. And I would add joyful heart only for this reason, is Scripture talks about that the world reflects God's glory, doesn't it? If you saw an amazing athlete who's a total atheist, does that reflect God's glory? I think it does. I think it does because now you say God has created a creature who can do this. So that reflects God's glory. If you look at the mountains, that reflects God's glory. What we're talking about in worship, though, is we reflect it in a joyful way, and we're going to walk through what that means. So through Jesus, we're talking about that. What are we getting at? Has anyone heard of the, um, i got to look at it, Lantum Imaging Targeting Pod? Here, I'll give you a picture just in case. Oh, it's kind of a tough picture, but you can see it looks kind of like a missile with some writing on it. Pretty amazing. So if you want to just take about two minutes to, to praise this amazing piece of equipment, go ahead. I Just take it right in your bulletin. Anything. This is like a brainstorm. Just write what you, what, how you are moved when you see this machine. Not a single person wrote anything. We put pens in this week so that you could. What's the problem? You cannot stand in awe. Well, I'll tell you what this is first. Uh, the lant- Lantum Imaging and Targeting Pod was when they, uh, during the, uh, they were looking for Scud missiles. This can take a four and a half mile picture in high resolution at night with infrared cameras and lasers. So it's pretty cool. It didn't actually work, so I, re- I heard about it in the Malcolm Blackwell book, What the Dog Saw. So we thought we were blowing up all the Scud missiles when we went to war with, I think it's Iraq. Um, that's not exactly what's happening because they had fake ones and things like that. But that's not the point. The point is that this is pretty amazing. So if I describe all the amazing things that this has done, you could then maybe write a paragraph about how cool this is, the technology involved. But you cannot stand in awe, you cannot be amazed, you cannot praise something that you don't understand. So why is it so important when we... I've got to take this off. I mean, I can't. we'll go back to our other verse. 
What do we mean by through Jesus? Why is that so essential when we're talking about praise and worship of God? Because you cannot stand in awe. You cannot give praise. You, cannot under, you can't do any of these things with something you don't understand. And how is it that we understand God? We can understand ourselves. I mean, we can look, and if we're real honest with ourselves, and we live in a, a world of pumped up um, self-esteem, but if we're honest with ourselves, I think we admit, I'm a failure. I sin. There's something not right between me and God naturally. And we admit, I deserve God's wrath. Absolutely. Now, we say this all the time, and we even say it in the, uh, as we confess our sins, but do you ever think about that? We honestly deserve God's total wrath. We totally disobey him. We rebel against him. He says, I want you to do this, and sometimes we're doing the exact opposite. But through Jesus, we understand what kind of God we have. Then God shows up. Through Jesus, we understand how far God is willing to go to keep his promises. Through Jesus, we understand what kind of love God has. And when you're talking about relationships with people, isn't it amazing when you get to a point in a relationship um, where people have seen kind of, I don't want to say your dark side, that sounds bad, but they've seen like not your best side and they still like you? Isn't that cool? Couples that, and this is my advice, I had a couple that met and they uh, had just got to know each other like three months and they were engaged. And I said, well, that's interesting. You know each other at all? And this couple thankfully did know each other from grade school and things like that. But can you fake it for three months? Six months? Now, I'm not saying you should be engaged for a long time, but I think it makes some sense to date in court because through that time, you're going to actually see the person you're with. And it actually, you're going to get to a deeper relationship because you're going to open up and you're going to, they're going to see mistakes. They're going to see some of the things you say. They're going to see you not at your best. And if you can work through that, you're going to even have a tighter and tighter relationship through forgiveness. That's what this makes sense. You lay your heart bare before God. You can't do this with any human being. You can't. You lay your heart bare before God. God gives you the ability to, to be honest with yourself, but also with him. And what do you see? You see a God that says, I forgive you. I love you. I want you to be with me forever. You cannot stand in awe of something you don't understand. And we can't understand God until we saw God walk the earth. We saw God care for people. We saw God that says, I, I like you. He's not just a you liker, like I'm a dog liker. God is a you lover. He loves you with his whole heart, and he says, I'm willing to go to the cross just for you. This is a strange thing, though. Um, the more and more you know about God, I think the deeper and deeper worship means to you. This is kind of counterintuitive to kind of the world works. I said, if the world laid bare your whole heart, you wouldn't have any friends. If everyone knew everything about you, you wouldn't have any friends. I guarantee it. You can say you would, but um, you're kidding yourself. The more people know about you, it goes to a tipping point, right? There's discovery. I get to know you better as you watch these shows. This is great. But then suddenly they, it goes down. And this happens without a doubt. It happens with baseball cards. My friends and I collected baseball cards and my brothers. Imagine this. So my little brother and I, this is 1986. So who are the best teams in baseball if you follow this? The Mets and the Red Sox were the best teams. Going at it in the World Series, this is epic. 
So we decide we're going to p- decide who we're going to collect because that's way more fun. So my brother collects Dwight Gooden. That went real well. Um, he had a drug problem, left the league. My other friend collected Daryl Strawberry, and that went real well. He had a drug problem, left the league. And I thought I, had, I was golden. You, know, you just pick this guy. I have 400 different Roger Clemens baseball cards. I'm not saying they're worth anything, but this is awesome, isn't it? He's got a drug problem, and he left the league. It's just steroids. It's not cocaine. So, and ironically, they all played for the Yankees at some point. Just keep that in mind. So, what happens, though, with anybody, with sports stars, we start to put them on these pedestals, right? And then it's just crash. The higher you put someone, the bigger the crash, because there's going to get to a point where you're disappointed. And it, um, it, it happens with people. It happens with sports stars. It happens with, like, things in the world. Like, you, what, think about the day you found out there isn't a pot of gold and leprechauns at the end of a, a rainbow. And you're like, What? They're small trolls, by the way, kids. It's, isn't it disappointing when you see that? Or you, your eyes are like, what? Or think of the holidays. I'm not going to get into details, but think of the holidays from when you're in first grade to when you're in, like, eighth grade. Think of that change. Like, the, it's like the curtain's pulled back, and you're like, what? Does that happen with God? The reason I'm concerned when couples, when they come to me, um, and they want to get married, and... They've only known each other three months. They said, you can fake whatever. And, and maybe you're not even faking it. You're just in like this, this time of your life. And that's when they catch you. And that's how they see you forever because that's all they've known. I'll give you an example. I had long hair in college for a while because I knew I was going to be a pastor. So you got limited time to do this. You guys, you can do that whenever you want. I don't have that option. So I had long hair. I went to visit. We went on a canvassing thing. And it was actually in Grand Junction. We get there and uh, we stayed with a friend of mine's older sister. She's married, and so that's how she pictures me forever. I saw her later at call day, and this is like seven years later. She's like, where's the long hair? I'm like, what? This was like a short span in my whole lifetime, but forever she's going to picture, oh, that's probably the pastor with long hair. That's probably what she's thinking. Isn't it odd? Maybe you meet someone when you're dating, and you're like in an exercise phase, and they're exercisers, and like this is the greatest match of all time, but total lifespan of 30 years you've exercised for three months. Is this going to be a good thing long term? They're like, I don't know what happened. She doesn't exercise anymore. He doesn't exercise anymore. Or maybe you were into poetry at some point, and you're like, I, I found the greatest guy of all time. He, he writes poetry. He's so good, he writes it about the Lantum targeting imaging pod. This is how good this guy is. Right. But then, that's just a phase, right? Is that what we, did we just catch, when we talk about Jesus walking the earth, did we just catch God at like his good moment? When he cared about people? Today is Christ the King Sunday. What's our verse of the day from Revelation? I am the Alpha and the Omega, and the same yesterday, today, and forever. So whether you became a believer like Adam at the beginning, whether you became a believer like Abraham, uh, how many years ago that is, uh, 4,000 years ago, whether you became a believer like David 3,000 years ago, wherever we see the same God. We see the same God. He is still loving. He is still just. He's the same then here and will be. He is never going to change, and you don't have to worry that God's just at a good phase because God is good all the time. I kind of wish, when we're talking about worship, though, that we had a predictable response. Wouldn't it be nice? You know when you do things, you, you hope you're doing it right? Like with handwriting, there's a certain way you're supposed to write 
and you can look at it and you can say, that's right or that's wrong. Okay, I'm doing this right. How do you know you're worshiping correctly? Here's the danger. I wish it was just actions in some regard because that's easier. The Old Testament believers thought so. But God said, listen, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So it's not just doing the action. What is the response? I wish in my head that it was a predictable response because then I could know, okay, I'm doing this and I'm doing a good job. You ever seen those movies where they have the flash grenade? I think that's, I looked it up, that's what they're called. So they're like a stun grenade. So they roll this into the building. Hopefully this has never happened to you. You've never been on cops. Um, but they'll roll it into the building and it shoots this amazingly bright light so it stuns their senses in a dark room. And also it's a really loud noise so they can't hear for a second. So then the police officers come in and then they take care of it. Cops was actually filmed in Lakewood, Washington, which is about 40 minutes from where we lived. So we lived in nice Maple Valley, nice and quaint. And then you go a little bit farther to Lakewood and then they, f- they filmed the show Cops. It wouldn't be very exciting in Maple Valley where we live. So that's a predictable response. If this did not have a predictable response, would it be a good weapon? Like you roll it in and only 30% of the people are stunned and the other guys are sitting there waiting with, um, of course, no shirt on because they never have shirts on and cops when they come. And they're sitting there waiting for you. This would not be good, would it? So is God like a flash? When you see God, do we have a predictable response that as soon as you see it, we all drop to our knees and touch our hands on the ground? Is there a predictable response when it comes to God? So that I can look and say, okay, who's really worshiping and who's not? The answer is no. We want to get some lessons we look in the Old Testament. And I'm going to walk through a number of passages, so you've got to stick with me here. Usually I don't like to do this machine gun style with a bunch of passages. Sometimes your response is simply going to be stillness. You stand before a holy God. You stand before and see what he has done and what he has made, and, and God just says, be still. Sometimes you come to worship God and you don't have anything to say. But that stillness can lead to reverence. It says this in the Psalms, let all the pe- earth fear the Lord, let all the people in the world revere him. You start to see what he has done, the more you discover, and then it's just awe. And sometimes it's silent awe. You can't go to something, why aren't you saying something about something? Have you ever seen something so, like your jaw just drops? Maybe some of you climb 14ers, you get to the top and you just look and you're just like, wow. Wow. And that's, that doesn't count for poetry, does it? I've never seen one that says like a one-word poem, wow. But isn't that the feeling you have sometimes when you see what God has created? Wow. But because we're sinners, though, this is always mixed. The Lord Almighty, it says in Isaiah, is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. We recognize our sinfulness. We know God knows our sinfulness. And isn't there a sense of fear? If you're afraid to tell other people what you've done, what's it like to talk to the one who you offended? There's a sense of dread, but it's not a, a dread that stays and it's not one that paralyzes because this leads to brokenness. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise, it says in the psalm. So we get to a point where we're broken and we're on the ground in humility and we say, God, 
I have sinned against you. You're holy and just, and I, I have totally gone against all your commands. And we would stay there. But you know who the one is that turns us around? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul, we just sang it, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? So you ha- there's this longing that comes because who is the only one who can fix it? If you go through this whole cycle of awe and fear and brokenness, eventually you get to the point that says, I want to be with God because he's the only one who 100% accepts me and is the only one who can fix it. And you long to be with God, but ultimately, here's the one who changes it. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. God changes us. God gives us the joy and ultimately fulfillment. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In the end, we're not chasing the pleasures of God, the things that he gives us. In the end, as a believer, you come to worship to be with God. It's not what can you get from worship. It's what has God given me. The the final end and the final purpose of worship is worship. It's not a stepping stone to something else. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. It's like emotion. If my, um, my daughters are, well, I shouldn't say my daughters. I know some kids who are afraid to go in the basement at night to shut the lights off. But are they still afraid if I walk down the stairs with them? They have confidence. And they don't think, boy, I should have confidence. I wonder what I'm going to get out of this in the end. It naturally comes, doesn't it? I can't tell you how you should feel. That's why we usually don't sing songs that say, like, I repent or I rejoice and all these other things. We usually don't sing songs like that. What we do is we sing songs that tell what God has done because it's the Holy Spirit who changes you. Someone described it this way. And this is one of the kids' questions. Someone described it this way. We are the furnace in a sense. God doesn't want just our lips. He wants our hearts. So we're the furnace, and the fuel that burns in that furnace for worship is the knowledge of God. So unless you know who God is, we said that, you can't respond. The Holy Spirit's the fire that makes you burn, and the heat that comes off is your emotion and your reactions. I can't predict that. But this is what God has done for you. This is what God has changed you. And you might say to yourself, what do I do, though, if I don't feel this longing what do I do, though, if I don't find the joy and I don't delight and I begrudgingly always go to worship? Sometimes that's a knowledge problem. You don't know what God has done. And sometimes it just means, God, I've let these feelings drift away and I need to say I'm sorry. And ask God. God longs for you to be part. Ask God to say, God, kindle in me feelings, not fake things, not made up things, but kindle in me awe and reverence, kindle in me dread, kindle in me contrition and a broken heart, kindle in me though ultimately the joy. Because isn't that what David wanted? Psalm 51. 
We sing this song. I even left it in the same slide. He says, after he sinned, create in me, not new lips, God, but create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And this is my prayer. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. It's kind of an odd thing, I think, if you talk about a sermon that is um, leading to service. But if you understand um, how God has filled you up, if you understand how you first react to God, you're going to be in a place, as we talked about, where you are now ready to go into the world and serve a world and love a world because you know what God has done for you. Amen.